you once again for this time that we can gather in this place to sit at your feet to listen to your word. I ask, Lord, that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, only two more days left of Chinese New Year. And of course, uh, as I intimated last week and as Moses pointed out, you know, we always seek blessings in the new year. That's in our culture. You know, we hope that the year starts well so that you uh, enjoy the blessings and the prosperity of life. And it's interesting because both the readings today from the lectionary, both in uh, Jeremiah as well as in uh, uh, Luke's gospel, deal with blessings, but they also deal with curses. And I want to uh, um, look at the passage from Jeremiah uh, to consider what it takes to be a person who is blessed, but also to heed the warning of what happens when we are um, uh, doing something else which ultimately leads uh, uh, to us not just not getting the blessings, but being cursed in that sense. As you know, Jeremiah was uh, uh, one of the prophets who ministered uh, in the Old Testament, his book is the longest in the Old Testament, and uh, actually in the whole Bible, but also it was a time where he was ministering to the southern kingdom of Judah. Those of you who know biblical history know that after uh, Solomon died, you know, his kingdom was split into two, between the north, which was Israel, and the south, which was Judah. And in the north, most of the time, the kings were not obedient to the Lord. And so they fell first, went into exile first. But Judah wasn't very far behind, and they were headed towards exile, and Jeremiah was operating in that space, warning them specifically about the dangers of idolatry. And that's the problem with the people of God. You know, even though they knew who God was, they departed from the faith and ended up, in a sense, uh, worshipping idols. And it's in that context, uh, Jeremiah is prophesying, and we pick it up here in chapter 17, and in verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And this reality is, you know, so often uh, while we claim to be people who follow after God, you know, the actions that we produce in our lives, the way in which we live our life, uh, betrays the fact that we are practical atheists. <laughs> we have turned away from God. We put our trust in man, in human uh, ways of doing things, in, in human solutions to the problems in our life. You know, instead of prayer being our, our first uh, recourse, it often becomes our last resort. You know, when all else fails, you know, break glass <laughs> and pray and hope something happens. And not to say that it's wrong to pray in, in, in your desperation. I think... Scripture tells us time and time again that's what we ought to do. But you see, what happens is this. He, this person who puts his trust in man or in human effort or in human abilities or in human solutions, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. You know, sort of like the shores by the Dead Sea, a land where nothing grows. Then Jeremiah contrasts this with a person who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust 
is the Lord, or the NIV says, whose confidence is in Him. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And so you see this compare and contrast. I like the New Living Translation and how it says, Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. And to be clear, just because you trust in the Lord doesn't mean you don't face drought. Doesn't mean you don't face difficult times and calamity. The difference is you're not shaken. You are not afraid. You are not uh, uh, worried about what's happening. So we see this compare and contrast. What happens when you trust in man? What happens when you trust in God? And the picture is vivid. This is a, a picture of what it would be like, whether you are a stunted shrub in the arid places and dry ground, or you are a fruitful tree. Now, mind you this, if you've ever gone in a, a tour of Palestine, like I did many, many years ago, need to do it again, uh, hopefully, once all the travel restrictions are eased, we can organize a tour to the Holy Land, and I'll, I'll let you know, all right? But, um, you know, in the desert, there is vegetation. But to survive, because it's a place of very little water, it, you know, hunkers down in itself. It looks like dry twigs. And I was told by the guide that, you know, sometimes there are rains that come. Sometimes there's some flooding that overflows into the desert areas. And then suddenly it blooms and blossoms. But, you know, it's not normally a very fruitful sort of uh, uh, vegetation. Compare that to a tree that's planted by the water. And if you think about the illustration that Jeremiah is using, or the Word of God that comes through Jeremiah is pointing to, the difference is in where they draw their source. Right? With the trust in uh, human beings... Our source is always going to be limited because human ability is always limited. You won't be surprised if it runs dry because that's a fact of life. Human thinking, human abilities will never ever uh, fulfill all the needs and all the desires and all the, the, the situations that you face. Whereas when you put your trust in God, when your source is in God, it's a limitless supply. You know, and more specifically, if you look carefully, he basically points to the fact that it's your roots that matter. See, in uh, the New Living Translation of this verse 8, it says, They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. But let's be honest. Most of you sitting here, most of us who are in this place, know this very well. We know that we need to trust in God, not trust in man. We know that we need to place our faith and our hope in Him and not in human uh, uh, solutions or human beings or even ourselves. Yet, we find ourselves doing it again and again and again, isn't it? That's why verse 9, Jeremiah points out, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He points to the fact that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
that it is our hearts that lead us astray, that our hearts are desperately wicked. Proverbs 4, uh, 23 tell us, Keep your heart with vig- all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Right? Jesus talked about out of your innermost being comes living water, but he also points out that you know if evil comes out, it's from the, the interior that it is, uh, uh, manifests itself. You know, one of the situations we now face in society, not as much here, but as much as it is in the West, but it's creeping into Singapore, is this growing polarization where, you know, they're setting up categories of us versus them. And, and I, I meant to do it yesterday at the sermon, and I meant to do it again today, and I don't know why I forgot. I found a nice illustration, us versus them. The us, you know... Looks angelic being with a halo over their head, and then a dam you you know draw horns and make that person out to be a devil, and that's human tendency, isn't it? If they're not like us, then they are the devil. They are the enemy. They are the problem. And that's the way society seems to be heading. But if we take God's word seriously, then we recognize what Paul said to the Roman church: all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's that great equalizer. All of us have hearts that are desperately sick. It says, you know, he says there, that is deceitful above all things. In other words, all of us have lying hearts. We lie to ourselves. We lie to one another. You know, who can understand it? That's a question that we should address. You know, as I was reading this uh, passage in Jeremiah I couldn't help but, you know, my mind goes to Psalm 1. My parents, <laughs> very early on, used to teach me to memorize Psalm 1. Or I don't think I did it very well, perfectly, but I certainly don't forget the lessons that are found in Psalm 1. You know what Psalm 1 says, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, whatever you do, whether you are walking, standing, or sitting, make sure you keep good company. But he goes on and he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And the result is this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Same picture, isn't it? That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And you know, that's the the simple lesson that all of us need to learn. You know, if we want to find blessings in life, we need to stand in the way of the righteous. We need to dig deep. And so I think, you know, verse 2 in um, uh, the message Uh, reads it like this, uh, verse 2 and 3. Instead, you thrill to God's Word. You chew on Scripture day and night. You are tree-planted, replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. That, you know, trusting in the Lord means we marinate ourselves in God's Word. We, We take the time to uh, chew on it. Why, why he says chew? Because in, where the Hebrew is translated into English in uh, most translations where it says meditate on it, it's that same word which you think of uh, um, cows that, you know, um, 
digest the grass. You know, they've got four compartments in their stomach and they'll eat the grass, swallow it, then it digests for a while, then they regurgitate it and continue chewing on it. And, you know, it's that understanding that you keep mm, uh, uh, um, chewing on it to get the maximum nourishment out of it. I mean, cows have to do that because there's huge animals and grass, you know, in terms of caloric value is very low. So they need to get maximum value out of the, the stuff which they eat. And, and that's what uh, the picture, um, the, the writer of the psalm is trying to tell us, is to learn to sink our roots deep into God's Word. Why? Because despite the fact we don't understand our own hearts, God does, right? The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I... God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. That as we get deeper and deeper into God's Word, God begins to deal with us. You know, it's all well and good that we seek to study and to examine God's Word. But the question is, does God's Word examine us? Do we allow it? to dig deep into our inner being. And that's what I hope, you know, as, as we've laid out the theme for the years, to trust and obey. What it means is that let's really get back into the Word of God. Let's begin to trust God at His Word. And, and trust means not just reading it and saying, yeah, this seems to be true, or I believe this. But, you know, it needs to issue forth in action. It needs to result in obedience, that this year will be a year in which we truly build that trust in God's Word, but a trust that ultimately leads to obedience. You know, I think a lot of times, as I look across this room, all of us are very familiar with God's Word. Many of you come for our Christian education, and it's wonderful, and we, we will continue to do that, and we are looking to ways to improve that. And, you know, we all read Scripture. We, we've gone through different uh, iterations of trying to help people, you know, be regular in their quiet time, regular in their Bible reading. But I wonder if sometimes the problem we have with God's Word is that uh, not so much that we um, um, read it or don't read it, but the fact that we often don't uh, read it in the right way. You know, what's the intended outcome of us reading the Word of God. We often think of the Bible as uh, um, God's instruction manual for life. And in some sense, that is true. But it's far beyond that. We read God's Word to know who God is and specifically to know Jesus Christ. Because I believe that all Scripture ultimately points to Christ, who is the Word of God. That if we get into uh, Scripture, we begin to understand who Jesus is. I've told you this before. You remember the account of when Jesus, uh, after he raised, rose again from the dead, was on the road to Emmaus with two disciples and began a conversation with them. And, you know, they were telling him all the things that had happened when Jesus died and he rebuked them. You know, how foolish. Don't you know what the Bible says? And then he began to expound to them, and it says there in verse 27 of Luke 24, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I think, you know, it's 
I think, quite straightforward when we read the Gospels and even the Epistles to see it points to Christ because it's the, the primary um, uh, subject of what is uh, written in the New Testament. But very often we struggle with the Old Testament. And, you know, oftentimes it's, it's um, uh, what happens right from the start in Sunday school. You know, the tendency for us to read the Old Testament is to read it as if it's a, a gallery of the heroes of faith to be emulated. Now, mistake, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these characters in the Bible are not heroes uh, or not people whom God has placed uh, for us to learn from. But, you know, when we reduce it to that, reduce it to being uh, a moralistic story about how you need to be like Moses or to be like David or to be like Abraham, you know, I think we miss uh, the fact that all Scripture, Old Testament especially, actually points to Jesus Christ. And I want to end by quoting an extended quote from uh, Tim Keller in his book on uh, preaching. And actually, I first heard it when uh, I got a hold of a lecture series on preaching to the heart, which you know was very instrumental in helping me grow in my ability to preach. But he says this, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood, his blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went, to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for, for us all. Jesus said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, Now we know that you love us. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him, and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands at the gap between the people and the Lord, and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who, struck with the rod of just God's justice, now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. <laughs> Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a, so a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, 
who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, the innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's really not about you. It's about Him. The point Pastor Tim Keller is trying to make is this, that Christianity is not about Christians. It's about Christ. That when we read the Bible, it's not a book about great people of God. It's about the great God of the people. And I hope and pray that as we move forward into this year, as we continue to dig deep into His Word, as we find ways to uh, marinate, to chew, to meditate on His Word, that we will begin to learn to trust Him and obey Him. And that be a transformative experience for us. That we will meet the God of the Bible as we open His Word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we do thank you once again for the way in which you speak to us from your word. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons that are contained therein that ultimately point us to your Son, Jesus. That show us the way back to you, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this new year, that as we seek to trust and to obey you, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit will enable us to do that. Father, we are so grateful too for the accounts of your people in the Word. People who, yes, did great things on your behalf, but who were also painfully, humanly flawed. And how that speaks to us the reality that our flaws do not prevent you from using us and making uh, your message known to a dying world. And we pray that as we continue to put our trust in you and as we obey you, Lord, you would use us despite the fact that we are earthen, empty, broken vessels. Use us for your greater glory so that when people look and see, Lord, your treasure that is within will shine through clearly. These things we ask and we pray in your Son's most precious name and all God's people say, Amen.